Okay, this morning we're going to go to Revelation 22, the very last few verses in the Bible. And we are going to finish, Lord willing, our study in Revelation. I say Lord willing because I've been planning that for three weeks now. But the Lord has always more to teach us. And this doesn't mean we're done learning. It means we're finished for the time being, focusing on Revelation. Um, But still, there's so much right here in these last few verses. Um, And let me just bring us up to speed here. Uh, For the last couple weeks, we've been reading through the, the last part of Revelation 22. It's the conclusion of Revelation. And just a reminder... And we're not going to read the whole passage again today, but three times in this last section of Scripture, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. In fact, the Bible begins with the promise of Jesus coming, and it ends with the promise of Jesus coming. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, remember God proclaimed the curse on the earth, and then he promised that he would send the Redeemer. In Genesis 3.15, he said, I'm going to send one whom Satan will bruise his heel, but he will bruise his head. In other words, Christ will bruise the head of Satan. He will conquer him outright. And we know that Satan tried to destroy God's plan of redemption by killing Jesus Christ, having him crucified. And in that very, probably the most evil act that could ever have been perpetuated on earth, God actually used that act to fulfill his plan of redemption. I mean, the irony there, just the the sovereignty of God that's seen in that. But that was the fulfillment of that first promise. Jesus came as the Redeemer. So the Bible starts with that, the promise that Jesus would come. And then as we get to the end of the Bible, what do we see three times? The promise from Jesus that he will come again. It's the second coming. Uh, that he's promising here. And he says this three times. So as we have seen the fulfillment of that first promise of Jesus coming, so we should have no doubt in our mind of the second fulfillment of this promise, that Jesus will come again. So for believers, this chapter here in chapter 22 of Revelation, the last chapter of Scripture, should be for us one of the most exciting and beloved chapters in all the Bible. Because this is the event that we should be looking forward to. We, above everything else, should be in, at the point in our lives where we can't wait for the return of Jesus Christ. Because that is the beginning of real life. And I, I don't know about you, but I mean, that's what I pray for. And that's what John prays for here at the end of the, the Bible. So this promise is the next great event in God's timeline of history that will begin everything that we've studied in Revelation up to this point, at least from chapter 6 and through the rest of this. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And so that's what we look forward to. And so that's what we're reading about here in Revelation chapter 22. So all of that's just introduction, but we're just going to read from verse 17 
to the end of the chapter. We read the last or the first part of this chapter the last couple weeks, and this morning I want to focus on just the very end. So starting at verse 17, having received the warning, having received the promise and the verification of God's truth and His words, verse 17 begins, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely... I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So let's stop there. We'll take a minute to pray, and then we'll get into what God has for us in this passage. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And we know that everything in this book is true. Those things which you have promised you will fulfill And so as we study this last section of Scripture, this last part of Revelation, Lord, may we see your promise in the light of our life, in the light of the things that you promised to us. And may it challenge us and change us in how we look at life and how we live our life. But Lord, right now I pray that you would help us to focus on the truth that you have for us. May your Spirit guide us through this passage. May he teach us those things which are important that you want us to understand. And Lord, we need your help. And so we look to you today. Lord, I need your help. My voice is weak. My body is weak. And so give me your strength, I pray. I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit as I speak, as I teach your Word. May these words be your words. May the message be your message. And may we be challenged by your truth through this time. And so, Lord, we need you, and we ask for your presence to be among us, to do your work in us and through us. And may you receive all the glory during this time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned before, as we go through Revelation chapter 22, we see three focuses, and it's all built on the foundation of Jesus' promise of his coming And we look at the first two messages or focuses in this chapter. The first one is the verification of Jesus' words, that we know that everything that he's told us, not just here in this chapter, but through the entirety of Revelation, and in fact, through the entirety of Scripture, it's all true, and those things which he would say, or which he said would come to pass, will come to pass, because they are his words, the words of the true and faithful one. There's no doubt about what he says. And so that was the first message. His words are true. The second message was a warning built on that. Because they're true, because these things will come to pass, last week we looked at that warning. The warning is there will come a day when those who do not believe will be stuck, in a sense, in the place that they are as far as their character, as far as their choice, their lack of submission to Christ, And that sin nature that defines them today is what will define them for eternity, even as they suffer in the lake of fire for all time. And Jesus gives that warning, and he tells us 
who those people are going to be. He lists those previously in this chapter. And so he gives that warning, and with that warning now that their time will come when the invitation will not be available, he gives the invitation. And that's what we see beginning in chapter 17. Those who will be washed by the blood, those who have their robes washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, are the only ones that will enter into the eternal kingdom. There are many who will not enter into that kingdom because they are defined by sin. And so Jesus puts this invitation out to all of those who don't believe, who are defined by their sin. And in verse 17, it starts and it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Now, the commentators are in disagreement, in unresolved resolution about what this invitation truly is. Is this the Spirit and the Bride saying, come? Is this a prayer to the Lord that He would come? Because He's just told us He's going to come. And so is this a prayer to God saying, or to Christ saying, come, we're waiting for you to come? Or is this an invitation from the Holy Spirit and from the church to unbelievers saying, come, in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, in light of the fact that judgment is going to happen, come, accept this invitation by Christ. I think the answer to that question, whether it's the prayer saying, come to the Lord, or the invitation to unbelievers saying, come to the Lord, is both. I think it can be looked at both ways. And it's appropriate to look at it both ways, because as the church, we do pray that the Lord would come quickly. And the Holy Spirit actually looks forward to the Lord's coming back as well. Because that will be the time when Jesus Christ is glorified not just on in heaven, but on earth as well, by all who exist therein. And so we have this invitation. It says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Now, throughout all history, the Holy Spirit has been beckoning people with this invitation. You go all the way back to the children of Israel. And God called them to be his chosen people and led them out of Egypt. We've been studying that in Sunday school the past couple of weeks. And the things that God was teaching them, how to be a holy people, and that they would be a special, separated, consecrated people to the Lord. And he would use them for his purpose, but he would bless them immensely according to his promise, and yet they would not listen. They would not yield themselves to this invitation by God's Spirit. And they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their rejection of God's invitation to them. They would not listen to him as God. And then even after they wandered, the generations who went into the promised land, who had the benefits and the blessings of that promise fulfilled in their lifetime. And they still rebelled against God in the future generations and went into idolatry and adultery and all of these things that God commanded them not to do. And they followed false gods, rejecting, again, the invitation of God to be their people. And you move forward in history into the New Testament And we come to the Pharisees, the elite of the Jewish religion, 
those who, according to their own claim, kept the whole law, and yet Jesus said that they were whitewashed tombs, that they ignored God's Spirit, and in fact, not just ignored God's Spirit, but Jesus said that they blasphemed the Spirit of God. So Israel has rejected God's claim. God's people has rejected God's invitation through his Holy Spirit. And we've read in Revelation, when we get to the tribulation, there will be millions of people whom, who hear the gospel like it has never been preached before in power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the two special witnesses, through the 144,000 witnesses, through other people who come to Christ during that time. And millions will still reject that invitation. And so that has been the pattern of history. And we know today even the invitation goes out in TV, across the radio, in churches, and people hear it and reject it. And so it's not for lack of the Spirit's calling and lack of the Spirit's invitation that people are missing out on this blessing. Jesus said in John 16, 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That is his job, to call people to repentance, and yet they will not listen. And Paul, in 2 Thessalonians 2, in verses 13 and 14, he says that God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth, and it was for this that he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only difference between an unsaved unbeliever and a Christian, a saved believer, who's been redeemed through the blood of Christ, is that we have submitted ourselves to that invitation. We have accepted the free gift that God has offered. And so while the Spirit yearns for the return of Jesus Christ, where he may return in all his glory... Even as we do, he continues to call believers to come to that Savior today before it's too late. And so the, spirit, the invitation comes from the Spirit, the invitation to come to Christ. Then it says the invitation comes from the bride. The bride says, come. That's us, the church. And of course, all of us as saved people on the earth, and even those in heaven, as we read in Revelation, are praying for the quick return of our Savior coming, saying, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, just like we sang this morning. Lord, come quickly. I mean, that is our utmost desire, that God would take us from this earth. I hope it is. And so we pray for that. Even the disciples prayed for that in their lifetime. That's what they were hoping for. They asked Jesus, so you come back from the dead, you're here, now you're going to set up your kingdom. And he said, no, it's not for you to know the times of these things. But I'm going to send you out. I'm going to give you this message. And so the church longs for the return of Jesus Christ and prays for that. But we've been given this invitation to pass on to the world around us. This is the message of invitation that we, as Christ's bride, are to bring to the world. And so we are to say to them, come. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was not given to just the twelve disciples. That was given to all believers, all who are his disciples. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told us, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, again, he was talking to the disciples here, and we know that at Pentecost, 120 of followers of Christ received the Holy Spirit in a magnificent way and did miracles and spoke in tongues, and many people were brought to Christ through that invitation. But that command, that mandate, as we read about in our responsive reading this morning, is given to us as his church, as his bride. And so we are to take that message and go to the world and say, come to the Savior, find life in him. And Paul confirms this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. The same message that brought us to Christ, now we are given the ministry to take that message to others. Paul goes on, he says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. That is our calling. And so that message, the invitation is given to us. We've responded, and so now it's our job to take that same message and that invitation to the lost world around us. And Paul asks in Romans chapter 10, we read this as well, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And Jesus has sent us. We are his bride. And we're left here in the world to carry on the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of bringing that invitation to the world. And Paul says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And that's why in Romans 1, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We hold within us the power of God that can save mankind. It is that message of redemption, and it's summed up in this one word in Revelation. Come. Come to Christ. That's the message that we've been given. And so the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, the message of the Spirit is come. The message of the church, his bride, is come. Come to Christ. And then Jesus says, let the one who hears say come. This is the response of those who hear that invitation and accept it. I mean, if you're a believer, you had to start out as an unbeliever because we're all born in sin, and you had to hear that invitation at some point. That invitation of Jesus to come to him for cleansing and for redemption, for true life. And Jesus says, let the one who hears say, come. We did come. And now it's up to us to bring that message to others so they can hear the message and come, and then they will join in that invitation to bring that message of invitation to others. And in submitting themselves through faith to the Lord for salvation, they become part of the bride who carries that message out. And so they will join all of us in calling for others to come to Christ as well.
And so the invitation is there very clearly. Three times, the Spirit says, come. The bride says, come. All those who hear will say, come. And then Jesus says, and let the one who is thirsty come. And here's Jesus' personal invitation. He's the living water. We've read about that. He's the only one that can give true life. This is the same invitation that he gave to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that sent unto thee, give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And here Jesus says, If you want living water, come and drink. If that's what you thirst for, come and drink. It's the same invitation that he gave to the Jews who celebrated at the Feast of the Tabernacles with him in John chapter 7. In verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. It's not a new invitation. It's the same invitation that Jesus has always given. And we read in Revelation 21, verse 6, Jesus will say, It is done. The judgment is done. The creation, the new creation is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Jesus offers that water of life freely at no cost. And so his invitation goes out to everyone. And he issues the same invitation here at the end of Revelation 22. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This water of life is this representation. It represents the blessedness of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We look at the river that flows in the eternal kingdom out of the throne of God. It represents eternal life that we can only find in Christ. And Jesus says, I am the source of that water. I am the source of life. And anybody that wants it, anybody that truly is thirsty for that water of life, the invitation is open. You may come. And it comes without cost. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You, receive, you, you, you can receive it freely from Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. It comes from Jesus Christ, but we must accept it from him because he is the only source from which life flows. And no one is forced to come to Christ, but it is offered freely to all. And here's the heartbreaking fact of that invitation is there are many who are offered this life freely and yet they still reject it. If those who are given the invitation will respond, they will not be denied. No one can say to Jesus, well, you didn't give me the opportunity. The invitation was not given to me. Jesus says, whosoever will may come and drink. So Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. As he said, it's done. Every part of his work in offering this invitation, in providing the sacrifice, in shedding his blood, in paying for the sins of mankind, it's all been done. And the invitation has been sent out. It is done. All you need to come, all you need to do is come and drink. And Jesus says in John 6, 37, that him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So no one can blame Jesus and say, no, you didn't give me the chance. 
I didn't get the invitation. It's been offered to everyone. And it's been offered to everyone freely. And still, there will be many who reject this free invitation of Christ, and they will end up eternally lost in hell forever. In Matthew chapter 5, in what we know as the Beatitudes, Jesus, in the middle of that passage, or his first sermon, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But we have to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and that righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. You know, in our prayer request today, Walter mentioned a man who's seeking that life through good works. And that's not uncommon. We probably all may know somebody who falls in that category, who's seeking Christ, who's seeking eternal life, because I've done good things, because I've lived a good life. That's not where life is found. Jesus is very clear. Only those who thirst after righteousness that can only be found in him, those are the people who will be filled. Everyone else will be lost and empty. Psalm 34, verse 8, the psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And yet there's so many people who don't even want to try, who don't even want to taste the Lord. They can do it themselves. They don't need God. Israel, as I pointed out, rejected this invitation. Many of them, although they were God's chosen people, they used that status to live their own lives, to lift themselves up, to secure in their minds their place in heaven, and yet that wasn't what would get them to heaven. It wasn't because they were Jews. They had to trust and believe and follow the Lord just like everyone else. And they rejected that. And we know their history of of abandonment of God, of idolatry and adultery, rebellion. And because of that, God says in Jeremiah 9, verses 13 to 15, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and I will give them water of gall to drink. Now, that's not living water. That's not substance of life. Wormwood is poisonous, and that word gall means poison water. It's water that's contaminated, and God says, because you've rebelled and not accepted the invitation that I've given you, I will give you the water of death, literally, because that's what you've chosen. It's not a blessing of living water. It's a water of gall, poison water. And it's not the water of life, but the water of death to those who refuse this invitation of Jesus Christ. Only those who submit themselves to the invitation, who come to Christ as the source, can receive the blessing of true life. And so he gives this invitation very clearly in verse 17. It comes through the Spirit. It comes through the church. And it comes from Jesus Christ himself. And then he gives an additional warning in verses 18 and 19. And many are familiar with this. But it's right here at the end of the book of Revelation. And he says in verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy... 
God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Jesus, in these verses, says, everything that you've read, everything that I've said, they're my words. He's verified his word. He's verified that they are true. They are from the true and faithful one. And therefore, because it is his words, because they are absolute truth, they cannot be changed. You cannot mess with God's word. You can't make it better by addition or subtraction. Nothing is to be added. Nothing is to be be deleted. And no one has the authority to change or alter anything that Jesus has given us. And he says, if you mess with the stuff in this book, you will pay the consequences. Because this book of Revelation is a true record of the future. It's a prophecy from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Now, we know John the Apostle wrote this down for us and recorded it. It says that at the very beginning. And John identifies himself several times through this book as the one receiving this message. So he, in a sense, is the scribe. He's the one receiving the message and writing it down. And in several instances, even here in chapter 22, we see that the message was given through the mouth of an angel. But these are the words of Jesus Christ. Make no, there's there's no doubt about that. There's no question about whose words these are. In chapter 1 of Revelation, we see the glorified Jesus. That's who John is introduced to right at the very beginning in all his glory. And the rest of this book is his message to the churches. And so these are the words of Jesus. And he says, you cannot change them because they are absolutely verified as true and faithful because I am the true and faithful one. So if you do try to change God's word, either through addition or subtraction, then you will suffer the judgment of God. That's his warning. Now, Jesus' warning here contains a play on words because he says, if you add to this book, then I will add to you the plagues that I describe in this book. In other words, you will suffer through this tribulation judgment because you will not be a believer. You will not be part of the church. You will not be caught up at the rapture when he comes for his people. And you will end up going through this tribulation. And if you still do not believe, if you still do not accept his words as true and faithful, then you will eventually suffer eternal judgment. It will add to you the judgments of this book or the plagues of this book. But if you take away from the book, if you don't believe it's true, and so you say, well, that part's not important, that part's not important. No, that's not true. If you take away from this book, he says he will take away your part from the book of life, or in some versions it says the tree of life. And remember, we studied that. We looked at the tree of life in the new creation, in the, in the new Jerusalem. And he says he will take your part away from the holy city. That's all those who get into the eternal kingdom. So if we take away from this book, we won't be there. You have to accept this in its entirety as true because they are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this isn't the first time this warning's been given in Scripture. Here it's right at the end of the Bible. And it's very easy to see, well, this is talking about Revelation. Obviously, he says the words of the prophecy of this book. 
But if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, remember God calls Israel out as a nation. He leads them through the wilderness. He gives them his law at Mount Sinai. He brings them into the promised land. And Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is what God says to Israel. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? There's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes tells us. And this command at the end of Revelation is not a new command. It's the same command that God gave his people at the beginning. You will not take away or add to the word which I'm commanding you. You will keep these commandments, saith the Lord God Almighty. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, he again said, Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to or take away from it. So I think the command is pretty clear right from the beginning of Israel's history, from his giving of his word through them, you're not to take away or add to it. And so we look at this and we see that it relates to Revelation, but I think it's talking about the entirety of Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, it says, Every word of God is tested. In other words, it's tried and found to be true. He is a shield to all those that take refuge in him. Verse 6 says, Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Now, remember, we just read in chapter 22 the list of people who will not be in the eternal kingdom, and the very last one was those who enjoy a lie, or basically build their lives around lies. If we try to add to or take away from Scripture, then we are proved the liar, and we are proven that we do not believe what this book says because we do not accept it as truth. Now, when you look at the book of Revelation, let's look at the time period that Revelation covers. Once you get past chapter 1, you get into chapter 2, and chapter 2 is seven letters to seven churches, and those seven churches represent different time periods through history, through the church age, and the character of the church and the problems that they've dealt with from the time of John all the way up through our present time. We are living the church of Laodicea today. And so Revelation, in a sense, is a message to the church age. So that covers the last 2,000 years. And when God told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to not take away or add to his law, that covers the previous 2,000 years. So we have this command to not add or take away from this book, and I think God is really saying the whole book, not just the book of Revelation. It's been this command is repeated throughout scripture. This last book of the Bible is God's last two words to us on earth. The law was God's first words in a sense to us to or to his people on earth and so it covers all of what scripture entails. All of what it contains for us. Therefore, any truth that someone claims to have received from God that is not in this book or that contradicts something in this book is not truth. This is truth. Because God is truth. And anyone who attempts to change this book is an agent of Satan. 
And he's trying to deceive people and lure them away from God by questioning the truth of God's word. And isn't that what Satan did to Eve in the very beginning? Did God really say? He caused doubt about what God said. And so anyone who attempts to propagate the kind of claims that they have received truth apart from what is in this book are all through what the New Testament calls false teachers. Okay, They are agents of Satan because Satan wants to deceive, to draw us away from God, to believe something other than what God said. And we've had those, again, throughout all history. People like Mary, Eddie, Maker, Mary Baker Eddy, she was the founder of the Christian science movement. She wanted to add to scripture. People like Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, who claimed he had received additional revelation through golden tablets that God directed him to dig up out of the earth. The Book of Mormon, they claim, is in addition to the Bible, but it's just as authoritative. And so we've had false teachers, and might I add, the Catholic Church. Now, let me explain that statement, because I know there's many who will question that. The Catholic Church does use Scripture, but the Catholic Church does not accept just Scripture alone as their final authority. Let me read for you from Catholic.com. This is the official website of the Catholic Church. It says... And I quote, the Catholic Church never asked the faithful to place divine faith in anything other than the infallible teachings of God's authority on earth, whether that be Paul himself inspired by the Holy Spirit or the infallible teaching authority of the magisterium of the church. Now, the magisterium of the church is extra biblical teachings that come from the pope. And so the Catholic Church, on their own website, in their teachings, claims that this magisterium, the extra-biblical teachings from the Pope himself, because he is the infallible teacher set by God over the Church, those are just as authoritative as what is written in this book. They add to Scripture. In 1870, the Vatican Council declared that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, or within his divine authority as the head of the church, any doctrines or statutes that he defines immediately become divine truth and apply to all the church with or without their consent. In other words, what the Pope says is just as valid as what Jesus said because he has divine authority to speak extra-biblical teachings. Again, from their website, they say, the infallibility of the magisterium, those extra-biblical teachings, extends to all elements of doctrine, including moral doctrine, without which the saving truths of the faith cannot be preserved, expounded, or observed. In other words, they're saying you cannot be saved unless you follow and believe and obey the Pope, in addition to Jesus Christ. And so by their own definition, the Catholic Church has completely ignored this warning here about adding to his word. And they've taken upon themselves to add to the Bible as they see fit, and they call it 
divine authority. Folks, we need to be real careful about who we listen to in this world as authority. Because God has made it very clear. He is the authority. Jesus Christ alone is our authority. And his word alone is our authority. And so if we try to add to that or take away from that, we will not be part of his kingdom. He says that right here in Revelation 22. And it's with the invitation. So the invitation is not you can come to me, but you can keep everything that you formerly believed or didn't believe. You can come to me, but you don't have to accept everything I say and you don't have to obey everything I say. That's not the invitation. The invitation is you can come to me if you believe that every word I said is true and affects you. In fact, to be a believer, we must first accept the fact that this book, the Bible, that all of it, the entirety of it, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, is God's inspired word. You must accept that fact to be a true believer. This is his divine message. It is not the message of mortal men. It is not created out of their own wisdom and imagination. It is the word of God. And therefore, it has all the authority of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, that can be looked at two ways. Number one, obviously, we can't interpret it any way we want to. But in the old language, what it actually meant was no prophecy of the Scripture has been given to us through man's own ideas. It wasn't the inspiration of Paul that gave us his books. It wasn't the inspiration of Moses that gave us the first five books. It was the inspiration of God. God breathed out those words and used those men to write down his message. And so it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. There's the Holy Ghost's part in this. Remember, he's the first one that brings the invitation. It was through him that the message was given. So we must first accept that the whole book of the Bible... All of it is inspired by God. And as the inspired, revealed word of God to us, every single part of it is true, and every single part of it then is relevant to us. Now, I have a real problem with these, uh, I'll call it postmodernism or whatever you want to call it, but it's the idea that the, the Old Testament really doesn't matter to us anymore. The, the law has been done away with. All of that is just, you know, before Christ, and so it doesn't matter. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law, to substantiate it. He proved that it was important not to follow all of the rituals and things that God prescribed for Israel, but to live out the principles that are embodied within that law. And all of those things and all of those people that are written in the Old Testament are given to us for examples to teach us, to bring us to truth. You know, as we studied through Revelation, we talked about the millennial kingdom. I pointed out there's like six verses 
in all of Revelation that talk about the 1,000 years of Christ's reign. But then you go back to the Old Testament. There's chapter after chapter after chapter that describes that kingdom. Everything in this book is relevant to us. And it's important that we know it. Because if we don't believe that all of it's true, that all of it's important, and that all of it is relevant to us for today, then we cannot receive of its promised blessings. You can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible you want to apply to yourself. You accept it all. That's the invitation. Come and accept it all, or you get none. One of the principles that came out of the Reformation as people like Martin Luther rebelled against the so-called ultimate authority of the Catholic Church was this idea of what they called sola scriptura. Okay, it's Latin, scripture alone. That's what the words mean, scripture alone. That scripture alone is authoritative for the faith and practice of a Christian. In fact, that's actually in our church constitution and bylaws, in our statement of faith. It says, in essence, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it's in its authority it is the only rule of life and practice for us as believers. And so if you've joined this church, then I hope you've read that and you've agreed to that because that's what we believe. This Bible, Sola Scriptura, is our only authority. And God will use this word, and God will use his, or the Holy Spirit of God will teach us through this word how we're supposed to live as believers. And so all of it's relevant. But this sola scriptura idea comes right here from Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, among others. But here it's made very clear. Jesus says, my words are true. He's been saying that the whole chapter, and now he says, if you want to add to this, if you want to take away from it, basically you're saying you don't believe that these are the words of God and that they're not important and that they're not authoritative, and therefore I don't have to believe all of it. Or I believe it, but it needs more. It's not enough. And he says if you take that approach, if you add to it, I'll add to you the plagues that are in this book. If you take away from it, I will take away your part of the eternal kingdom. You cannot be saved as a believer and not accept the entire Bible as the inspired word of God. And that is a, it is authoritative for your life. And so here he gives the warning to anyone who would try to change it or dispute its truth. And that's what the invitation is based on that we accept these words as absolutely true, the entire thing. Not just chapter 22, not just revelation, the word of God. Are they true? You have to answer yes. And if it's absolutely true and absolutely authoritative from God, then therefore all of it is relevant for all of us. Revelation and the Bible as a whole then come to a conclusion with one final reminder of Christ's coming. In verse 20, he says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Surely, he uses the word here, it's the same word as verily, when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, Surely, 
I will come back quickly. It's an absolute truth. There's no doubt about it. And when John hears that third time, that promise from Jesus Christ, look at his response. He says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Or first he says, amen. Then he says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So be it. Let it happen. And he says, I know it's going to happen. Let it happen now. That's his prayer. Even so, Lord, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Take us out of this mess. John says, okay, Lord, you've promised it. You've repeated it three times here at the end of this revelation. We're waiting for it to happen, so just come. Come quickly. We're ready. And shouldn't that be our prayers, believers? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. I mean, if that is not the prayer of your heart, when you wake up in the morning or go to bed at night, or try to get out of bed in the morning. I don't know what else could be important. That is, was John's prayer. I mean, he's heard all of this. He's seen all of this. What's to come? He's heard Jesus' promise. And this is not a new promise. Jesus told him in person before he went back to heaven, I'm going to come back for you. In the book of John, he wrote this down. Jesus said, I'm going to go, back. I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place, and if I go, I will come back, and I will get you and take you up to be where I am. And so John heard that promise in person from Jesus Christ, and then Jesus went to heaven, and then about 60 years later, he's receiving this revelation, and he's seeing Jesus Christ in all his glory, and Jesus Christ is saying, I'm coming. Surely I come, and I'm coming quickly. And so John just says, Amen. Come quickly, Lord. I'm ready. And then he closes with this prayer. Verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May the grace of God be with you all. What grace is he talking about? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the grace that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, that leads to submission to the authority of God in one's life. It's the grace that, once we are saved, sustains us in our Christian lives. It's the grace that, as we understand God's grace to us, gives us strength in the times that we are weak. And Jesus told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's that grace that will help us to find help in time of need in Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God that saves us, and it is the grace of God that sustains us. And so John is praying here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the source of it, be with you all. Now, obviously, he's writing to the church, churches, that includes us too. But his invitation there, even, says, I want you all to experience the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you all to experience the grace of accepting that invitation, the grace that fills your life once you've accepted that invitation. 
And that grace is available to all who will believe, to all who will come to Christ to drink freely of the living water. So we close Revelation with that prayer. May you all experience in fullness the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, have you experienced that grace personally? Has God's grace so overwhelmed you? Has the invitation been accepted by you so that you have those blessings and know that the promise of Jesus coming is true? And until he comes, that his grace will keep us sustained on this earth, will keep us working for him, will keep us faithful until he comes back and that promise is fulfilled. Has that been your experience? It's available to all who believe, to all who will come to Christ to drink freely of the living water, Jesus said. If you haven't experienced that, the answer is right here. Come. Come to Christ today. Find true life. And if you've already responded to that invitation, then may we truly find his grace sufficient for us. For salvation, but also, as Hebrews 4.16 tells us, to find grace and help, to help in time of need. Do you have that grace? That's only something you can do as you respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we just pray that your grace might be truly experienced by all who are here today, who've heard these words from your word, who've heard this message from you to us. You've told us that your grace is available freely to all who will come to you. So encourage us to draw near to you, to draw near to you in salvation, to draw near to you in our weakness, to draw near to you in our needs, just to draw near to you, to be in your presence trusting that your promise to be with us is true, that you will provide grace to help in time of need. Lord, you know these days are days when we need you so much. Sin is rampant around us, and we suffer the effects of it physically, in sickness. We're oppressed from every side spiritually as we try to do your work. And so we look for eagerness for the day of your coming. We look for, with eagerness for the day you will free us from the curse of sin and take us to be with you in your presence forever. But until that day, Lord, we need you to help us remain faithful, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For we know that <coughs> excuse me, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.